you got a Bible, you can turn to 1 John, which is in the New Testament there. We're going to be uh, looking through a little bit of the 1 John, flipping back and forth this morning as we start a new series. It's exciting to come to church, like going to Bucky's, isn't it? You never know what you're going to get. It's like... Uh, Got men's, women singing, playing songs. It's, it's fun. It's a, it's a great time in our church, and uh, I'm so excited all the things that God's doing in people's lives. And uh, like I said, every week it's just God does something every week that uh, only He can do. And it's really, really just a great, um, great time to be a part of, see how God works um, in His people and through His people. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a really, really fun um, process, uh, especially here in the new place and be able to serve the Lord. And uh, I hope everyone's doing well this morning. And uh, like I said, we're starting a new series in First John, um, the, not the Gospel of John, but the first uh, little letter of John. And uh, you know, it's okay to be wrong, right? We've all been wrong before. Um, hopefully, some of you old boys in here don't have the nerve to say you've never been wrong. If you're sitting by your wife, you might get elbowed or uh, pushed a little bit. But uh, I remember this past Wednesday night, I was talking to Josh, and I was asking him. I said, "Well, you think it's a boy or you think it's a girl?" He told me, a girl, 100%. I said, no doubt, no doubt. Well, guess what? It's a boy. All right, so he was wrong, right? It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong sometimes uh, with different things that we do, especially for you men who every once in a while will try to guess what, you want, what your wife wants for dinner. Um, for sure, you're going to get that wrong, all right? Sometimes you look back at old pictures, and uh, I look back at some old pictures. Parachute pants, that was wrong. All right, the parachute <laughs> pants was wrong. That was a wrong decision. Uh, some of the hairstyles, I kind of wonder about my mom. I've always looked at her different light and look at some of the pictures back in the day. I'm like, man, how did you let me wear my hair like that? Uh, the mohawk was definitely a wrong choice that I had. Uh, but, you know, we all have wrong things we do. We get things wrong time to time, and that's just the way it is in life. But uh, this morning, I want to talk in this whole series, actually, about the one thing you cannot get wrong. The one thing you need to be sure of. The one thing that you got to be sure of in your life that you cannot get wrong, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one thing, as we go through this life, we cannot get wrong. On Wednesday nights, we're studying 1 Thessalonians. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's one thing that he makes clear, is that whatever you are, whoever you are, when Christ comes, you better be right with God. You better be on his side. You better be with Jesus. And in our life, um, whether it's the second coming of Christ or whether we go alone, we must have this right. You got to get this right. You cannot get this one thing wrong. And it's our relationship with Christ and our salvation in Him and for what it is. And no matter what, we got to get it right. And so this morning as we talk, uh, I'm going to do more of teaching than I normally do preaching. Um, so less spitting and less uh, exhorting, a little more teaching, which uh, a lot of times I don't get to do a lot of teaching. But I want to really set this into context because without understanding the context of what John is going to tell us here in this little letter, uh, this, this letter here, it's really going to be hard to understand. So I want to give you a lot of the background, a lot of the understanding, so that when we unpack these verses, you'll have these in your mind to, to bring back to memory um, what exactly uh, John is uh, talking about. So as we begin the first John, um, it's a small little book. There's not much to it. Um, it's pretty short, um, but there's some big things in the little book of John. Um, there's a lot of powerful, practical truths 
in the book of John, especially about salvation, especially about Christ and who he is and the character and the content of who Christ is. And so the little epistle, that's what we call a letter um, of John, of 1 John was written by the apostle John. You say, wow, that was a great seminary education you got, all right? So the 1 John was written by John. Yes, it was by the apostle John, um, somewhere around 9 uh, A.D., and it seems that this little epistle here was not sent to a direct uh, person as much as it was like a circular letter to many Christians throughout the whole area of Asia Minor. So like Paul, he's very specific in some of his letters. This one is more of a general letter to believers uh, up in Asia Minor for them to understand these things. And like I said, the underlying theme of this is salvation. Uh, when you get done with 1 John, you understand the salvation of Jesus Christ. You understand how it means for a Christian to have a relationship with God and fellowship with other believers. And that's the way they work. As you have a relationship with God, you can have fellowship with other people. Um, your vertical relationship with God is in a direct effect with your relationship with horizontal fellowship with other men. And I've said it before, and I love the saying, you, can be, you cannot be right with God and wrong with people. You cannot be wrong with people and right with God. They work hand in hand. And so what John does is he shows us how your relationship with God is going to be in direct, uh, relationship, direct relations with how you treat other people or how you are part of the fellowship with other people. And uh, so as we think about this, even just before we even enter this letter here, we think about our relationships. A lot of times we think we have a people problem when we have a God problem. A lot of times we think we have a problem with our spouse when we really have a problem with God. We, a lot of times we think we have a problem with a coworker when we really have a problem with God. See, if we love God, we can love other people. If we don't love other people, then it shows we're not loving God like we should. And so as we work through this, I want you to see the direct relationship because John makes it clear. A person must love God, then he can love others. And if you're loving God the way you're supposed to, you're going to love others. That's one of the things he gives us as a test as part of his basic theme of salvation. And so John was called uh, to salvation and apostleship at a very early age. And uh, like I said, this past Sunday night, I got to baptize my daughter and also Danny's daughter, Kaylee and uh, Courtney. And it's great to see them come to know Christ at an early age. You know, that's one of my prayers uh, when I, was, uh, I had my three kids was that all of them would come to them, know the Lord at an early age. And uh, I pray that they will know the Lord for a long period of time and serve the Lord. Well, that's the way John was. He was a young man. Christ came, he called him, he gave his whole life to Jesus Christ. He decided to follow after him, and he, and he went after him from a young age. And now, John as well is also known as the Apostle of Love. Um, some of you may know his title is the Disciple Who Loved Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I make it through my life, and I die, and they say, that is a disciple who loved Jesus, I think I've done a pretty good job, right? So John was the Apostle of Love. He was a disciple of love. More than any other writer in the New Testament, he speaks of the love of God and the love for Christians. So he loves God and he loves people. Uh, matter of fact, as church history would tell us that John was often found even in the assembly of the, of the believers. And uh, he didn't do much preaching anymore. He was tired and he, was, uh, he also uh, didn't have a lot of time to do things. But he would be there saying, little children, love one another, love one another, love one another. 
And they kept asking him, why are you repeating this so much? Because he said, if you can get this command, everything else will be fulfilled in your life if you love one another. And so it's important. As you can see, John was an apostle of love, but John was also a, an apostle of uncompromising convictions. What he believed about Jesus Christ, what he believed about salvation, what he believed the, the word of God said, he stood on it. He, he was like a tiger. I mean, you read some of his scriptures and, and they, just drip with, uh, they just drip with uncompromising conviction. Uh, like John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. See, he doesn't leave any room there to wiggle. He said, if you know Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't, you will not see this life. 1 John 5.12, we'll talk about that later on in our study. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God does not have life. And so he wanted to see people do well. He wanted to see people uh, know Christ. He wanted to love people, but he wanted to see them walk in truth. He wanted to see them know who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them. And he did not hesitate to call out false teachers, false doctrines, and false beliefs. So as we look to him, even in our world today, we realize that uh, John was one who didn't go by feelings, but by the word of God. And it's important for us to remember this. Because for us as Christians, a lot of times we might get wrapped up in what the culture says is mean or hateful or something that is not right because it, it makes someone feel bad. We live in a society of feelings. If it makes you feel bad, then it must be wrong. If it makes you feel sad, it must be wrong. If it makes you feel a certain way, but we know the truth, the word of God is not based on feelings. It's based on truth. It's based on the absolute truth of God. And what has happened is Christianity and preachers and churches and many others have bent or is bending the message of the gospel to make people feel good, to make people feel like they're okay, to make people feel like their feelings are okay. But we know truth cannot do that. Truth is narrow. Truth does hurt feelings. Truth sometimes uh, uh, offends. And John loved people more than anyone else, and he loved God, but he was uncompromising in his, in his, in his doctrine. And, and I love John because when you get done with John, you realize that he, he didn't see, uh, there were no grays with John. He, he saw black and white, right and wrong. Uh, let me give you a few other things that he said as he compared things. Light or darkness, life or death, love or hate, truth or error. He, he didn't give any wiggle room. He said, I love you and I care for you, but I want you to know the truth. I'm not a fence setter. I'm not one that's going to go any, any which way the political wind goes. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the word of God. I'm going to tell you the way you need to hear it. Men of God or children of the devil. You're of the world or you're not of the world. You have life or you don't have life. You know God or you don't know God. He, he puts this category out there. He says there's no third alternative. There's no second chance. There's not another door. He is straight up black or white. Man, he's my kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like, I like that. Like, I don't want to be tricked into something else, right? Like, I don't want, I cannot believe it's not butter, right? I want butter. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want low-fat sour cream. I want the real sour cream. Like, here, try this. And you try it, and you're like, that's not what you said that was. You know, like, that's nowhere near what it is. And a lot of times for us as Christians, I think that we try to, we try to narrow down or water down the gospel 
when we do a disservice to people. Because the truth is narrow and the truth does hurt feelings, but it is right and John knew it was right. And John knew he had the truth and he knew he knew Jesus Christ and he was going to call people back to the foundation of what they believed in. And if you can imagine, even in this time, he was already, he was already uh, addressing apostasy. He was already addressing false teachings. And this was near 50 years after Christ had come to the earth. Think about over 2,000 years, how much false doctrine, how much false teaching, how much false beliefs you could have. And, and for us as Christians, when we drift, when we doubt, when we have false concepts about Christ, First John, the epistles of John, is a great place to go and just check ourselves. A great place to go to just check what, who Christ is and what he has done for us and what he means. Now, in specific times, as John, he was dealing with the heresy of Gnosticism. You say, well, what's Gnosticism? Gnostic means, uh, it's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. It means the knowing ones. Sounds like somebody you'd want to hang out with on a Saturday night, right? Sounds like they could really bless you by leaving the room, okay? All right? And what they believed was they had the supremacy of intellect and superiority of mental enlightenment to faith and conduct. In other words, they were smarter than the dumb Christians. They were smarter than those who just believed in Jesus Christ. They were smarter than what the Bible taught. They were smarter than the gospel. They were smarter than just the word of God that was there. But really, when you look at it, it was really just a hodgepodge of mysticism and philosophy and all these other things that they mixed in. But how, they, how it worked was they put just a little bit of Christianity in it. Just a little hook. Just a little hook of Christianity in it, but yet from top to bottom, it was full of, 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 of false doctrine. And so literally what the Gnostics believed that inherently evil was actual matter or material. So if you know anything about the doctrine of Christianity, the, one, the most important thing is how, how Christ is fully God and fully man. That in his body, he was fully man, and yet in his spirit, he was fully God. He was the God-man. And in that process, he was the one and only son. He was the begotten son of the Father. And, but they believed that if Christ had a human body, therefore, he could not be God because he was part of a material body. And if he had a material body, then he was inherently evil. Like he could not be uh, nothing less than evil because material possessions or material things matter was evil. And so John began to talk about this in his, in, his new, in his New Testament as well as he addresses some of these things. And we'll read like in 1 John chapter 4 uh, verses 2 and 3 where he says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come into flesh is from God. So that's, that's a specific reference to the false teaching of the Gnostics. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So what he's addressing specific things like that, which we'll see as we go along. But if you read that without knowing the background, you wouldn't understand what he's talking about. So what, what it was was an attack on the deity of Christ. And they believed that Christ was, because he was matter, that he was evil. Well, the way they would try to get around that, they would say, well, Christ really wasn't a person. He was a ghost of a person. Like, like he looked like a person, but he really wasn't a person. 
Or they would say, well, because he was not really a person, maybe he was just like a, a spirit, or maybe he was like a, 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 a revelation of God that has come so far down the line that he was part God, but he really wasn't all God or fully God. So they were going back and forth of what to believe. And by the way, when you get away from what Scripture says, that's what happens. It all falls apart. Because truth works, and truth is truth. When you get away from the truth, then you got to make up lies. That's why I love, you guys know I used to love Live PD, but now it's not on anymore. So now I'm back to watching 48 Hours. And 48 Hours is a murder detective show. And they take these people in that commit murders, or they think they commit murders. And they take them, and they sit them down, and they begin to let them tell their story. And every good detective will let them tell their story. And because when they start to tell their story, they begin to lie. And once he tells one lie, he's got to tell two lies and three lies and four lies and five lies. And then they tell lies to cover up lies. And then by the end of it, they don't even know their own story. So they end up telling on themselves. And the detective just takes and lets them tell their stories. And a lie will contradict the other lies. And all of a sudden, you get caught. By the way... If you're a teenager, don't lie to your parents, all right? That's a good lesson for you, because when you start lying to them, you'll have to tell lies to cover lies, and guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get caught. I used to never get away with nothing, by the way, ever, with my mom. She was like the world's greatest detective, I can tell you. She was, uh, she, was, she was doing things, and me and my brother, we thought we could get away with things. Never could get away with them, ever. But here was John. He let him tell their story. He let him tell their lies. And when you get away from truth, that's what happens. And I think you would agree with me in our world today, that's what we see. We see lies on top of lies on top of lies. When you look to our world and you see what's happening in our, in our culture, you see what's happening with our kids, you see what's happening with our parents, you see what happens in homes, it's literally shocking. It's shocking because we have a world that has distanced itself from the truth. And when you get away from the truth, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And who's me to tell you that you're wrong? And who's you to tell me that I'm wrong? So if I like to do something and I want to do something that makes me feel good, you can't tell me I'm wrong because there's no truth. Listen, we got to have truth. There is truth and it is narrow. And like, like John says, you, you can't get away from the truth. The truth is is what the Bible says about God, what he says about Jesus Christ, and what he says about a relationship with him. He's going to tell us this is exactly the way truth is. And John begins to write the first book of John here. And this morning, as we get to 1 John chapter 1 here, uh, and we work our way all the way to the end of it, uh, we read this scripture, 1 John 5, 13 because this is part of our truth of who we believe that Christ is, who John believes that he is. But I want to give you four reasons why he wrote the gospel, uh, why he wrote this little epistle. One is that he wanted to bring joy to the Christians. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Now he's writing to these Christians, they were torn. They were, they were tossing back and forth. Uh, they, they wanted to believe, but then they didn't believe. They, they felt good and felt like they were on fire for the Lord and they thought they knew Jesus Christ and then a trouble or a trial would come or something would happen to their family and all of a sudden they'd say, well, God doesn't love me. Christ doesn't love me. He's not who he says he is. And they were going back and forth, back and forth. Let me tell you, have you ever been in a relationship that you have no trust in? There's no joy there. There's no joy there because you don't truly know if it's built upon love and trust. And, and I can remember when Aaron and I first got married, 
And uh, we, uh, of course, you know, when you engage with someone and before you get married, you try to put your best foot forward, you know. You try to make sure they see all the good things and not all the bad things. But then when you do get married, all of a sudden they start seeing some of the bad things. They might see you lose your temper. They might see you without uh, makeup on. They might see you uh, without your hair done. They might see you in a certain way or a certain light, the way you react or anger or the way that you, uh, you know, eat your toenails in bed or something like that. I don't know. Whatever what you may do. You might clip your fingernails and leave them on the counter. You might leave, you know, throw your socks down, your shoes down, your stuff down, and all of a sudden they start seeing all the bad. And next you know, you get in your first argument. Then you start to think, well, does she really love me? Does he really love me? And all of a sudden, through a period of time, you go back and forth. And you might have an argument or a fight. Next thing you know, are they going to come back? Or are they going to show back up? Uh, I can remember sometimes with Aaron and I, we might get in an argument. The next day, she would go out to Hillary, go to work. I'd think, is she going to come back home? Uh-oh. It's 4.30, 5.30. And then next what? She came back home. 21 years later, she's still coming back home. But guess what? She loved me just as much as she does now. But guess what? The assurance of that love is far greater. Like, like we can argue and fight and get out here at church and say, amen, bless the Lord, amen, where everything's great, right? Back then, a fight or argument, it was devastating. It was devastating. It just shook your whole world up. You were so upset that something might be wrong and it might not be right. But after years and years and years of faithfulness and years and years of a relationship, not that the love was greater, but the assurance of the love was there. That you have a joy now. You have this, you have this love and this relationship that works. Well, that's the same way it is with Christianity. Once you come to Christ and you realize how faithful and true that he is, how, how he's, he's going to be there for you every single time and how he picks you up, how he brings you back. And as he cleanses you once again and puts you back on your feet again, time and time and time again, the love that was there is always there. But now the joy is there. The assurance is there that you know that Christ loves you, that you have a joy in it. And let me tell you, when you truly know that God loves you and you're living a victorious Christian life, there's no joy like that this world can give you. No joy. And John is writing them and saying, I want to write this so you could have joy. That you're serving Jesus, but you're doing it out of doubt. You're doing it out of fear. You're doing it out of heartache or pain. I want you to do it, and I want you to have joy while you do it. It's a good reminder to ask yourself, how much joy do you have in your Christian life? How much joy do you have to come serve the Lord? How much joy do you have to read your Bible? How much joy do you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's a good question to ask. And if you're not having the joy you should, you need to look and see, do I really know Christ like John is going to explain how to really know Christ? So number one, he says, I want you to have joy. Number two, I want this to produce holiness in your life. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, these things I, have writ I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, that is righteous. So to know God, to love God, to have joy in Christ, to know that He is faithful and true, to forgive you and to, to, to wash you from your sins, that's not a license to sin. If you love your wife or you love your spouse, you love your husband, you love your kids, you don't treat them worse because they love you. you. You treat them better because they love you. You treat them you treat them out of respect and honor and love far more than what you can treat them out of fear or, or out of hate. And that's what John is saying. I'm writing these things that you may not sin, that you don't have a license to sin, but that you don't want to sin. That, that it produces a holiness in your life 
Not because you have to, but because you want to. Not that you have to do those things. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's a holiness that stems from a relationship with God. That you know He is righteous and you want to be righteous because you know that it's going to bring Him glory and honor in your life. It's not a set of rules. It's not guilt. Listen, when we live a life built out of legalism, we live a life of guilt and shame. When you live a life out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it brings love and joy and commitment to the Lord. There's a difference. There's a difference. You don't have to do those things. You want to do those things. Your heart is pure before the Lord, and you want to be holy because He is holy. And you think about with your relationship with Christ, do you just keep on doing everything you used to do and think God will just let you keep getting away with it? Have you built your life over legalistic ideals that if you try harder or do better, become a better person, God's going to love you more? Listen, that's not the way it works. Guilt is a result of sin, and sin is a result of a break of fellowship with God. And what John is saying, I'm writing to this, that you, not, that you don't sin more, but as you know Jesus more, and you know He's our Savior, and He knows He's our advocate, that you may sin less. That you, you will not sin as much as you are because it should produce a holiness in you, not one that take advantage of another person. So he's saying, I write these things, you might have joy. I write these things that you might live holier. And I write these things so you can know and protect yourself from false doctrine and teaching. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, These things I've written you concerning those who try you, try to deceive you. If you think about it, that's the whole world is based upon deceiving you from the word of God. It's taking scriptures, taking the truth of God, and it's pulling it and twisting it and deceiving it. It's taking us in one way and taking it another way and trying to put it in a different way and pull you away from a real relationship in Jesus Christ. But John is saying, I'm writing these things so that you might spot false teachers, that you might spot those things that are wrong, that you might spot those things that are not of Christianity, not of the true gospel. And if you think about it, in our world, we need this more than any, any other time. Because we have YouTube, we have podcasts, we have Facebook, we have all these things that are constantly pumping things in our mind and beliefs in our minds. If we don't have that filter, if we don't have that doctor, if we don't have that, if we don't have that teaching to understand when things are right and when things are wrong, then we'll believe anything. And we begin to, we begin to get false beliefs and false things in our lives and it begins to tear away at our relationship with God because we believe false teachings. Listen, for us to be true, for us to be pure, pure, we must know these things. We must write these things. We must inscribe them in our hearts. We talk a lot about our church here, and we talk a lot about the major things and not the minor things. You know why? Because it's the major things that matter. If you understand the gospel, if you understand the word of God, if you understand a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you understand those things and you understand the major things, then everything else is going to take care of itself. And listen, when you hear things that are not right and you hear things, a bell should go off in your heart and say, that's not true. That salvation is a Christ alone and from, by faith alone. You, you don't have to join a church to be saved. You don't have to be a better person to be saved. You don't have to try harder or do better to be saved. And as you filter those things through, your, through the filter of Scripture, we should know these things. And for us as Christians, it's our job to find that out. I challenge you each and every uh, week as well from the Word of God, but I challenge you to go home and see what I'm, what I'm saying is true. I challenge you to get scriptures for yourself and read the Bible for yourself because when you go before God, you're going to be held accountable for yourself, not for me. 
I could share with you and I could tell you what I think and I could tell you what the Bible says, but you need to check for yourself. You need to go home and know Scripture. You need to know what you believe about Christ. You need to know what you believe, what you want to teach your family and your children. You, you need to know that from the Word of God. And that's what John is saying. I'm writing these things so people can't deceive you, so they can't pull you away. The Word of God will keep you on track. So John comes, he says this fourth thing, which we talked about this being the main thing, that he wants us to know of the salvation of Jesus Christ. This is the verse we read from the beginning. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I love that. He says, I have written these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, John comes and he says, here's the major thing. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if you do, you can know it and you know you have eternal life. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to go back and forth. You don't have to maybe, maybe not. You can know it doctrinally. You can know it spiritually. And you can know it as the fellowship of believers in Christ that it's true. And you think about it. As we go through the first John, he's gonna, as we go through first John, he's going to give a series of tests. Do you love Scripture? Do you love the brethren of Christ? Do you love the doctrine of the Lord? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the family of God? And he goes through these series of tests and he gives it black and white. saying, here's how you can know. And when he gets to the end of it, he says, I write these things that you may know. Not that you have to guess. Not that you have to think about it. Not that you even have to hope so. But that you may know you have eternal life. You think about your salvation It's a good question to ask yourself. What have you built your salvation on? As you witness and you tell other people about Christ and you talk about their relationship with God, the majority of the time, it's a works answer. And you say, what do you mean by a works answer? Well, most people will say that they have a relationship with God because they go to church. That's the majority of the answer you're going to get. Or most people say that I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. And I always say, amen, don't start with me. (laughs) I don't want to be killed either. Or they might say, I'm a good person. Or they might say, hey, I'm not that bad. It's some sort of works answer. And as you you look to it and you think about your own salvation, maybe you pulled one of those things and say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but I'm also a good person. Or I believe in Jesus, but I am the member of the church. Or I believe in Jesus and you add something to it. And we said this before going through Galatians. It's clear in Scripture. It's Jesus plus nothing and it's Jesus minus nothing. If you add something to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you're adding to the gospel. If you take something away from it, you're taking away from the gospel. And and doctrinally, as we look to our own salvation and experientially, how do you know that you're saved? Is it because you walked an aisle? Is it because you checked a card? Is it because these things in your life that you've been told that way? Maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade and you feel like you've been saved since you were 10 years old or 7 years old or 20, maybe when you were 20 or 30 years old. And so as we work ourselves through 1 John, I want you to ask yourself, what is it that I base my salvation on? What is it that I base the one thing that I can't get wrong in this life, as 1 John says? And, it, and the second part is, do you know it or are you just guessing? Because the Bible says you don't have to guess. You don't have to say maybe so or might so or, or maybe you can know that you know that you know. And listen, there were several times in my life I've been impacted by a lot of things. 
But as you know, many times I, I went to First Baptist Church in Jacksonville growing up. Uh, not growing up, but when I got out of high school. And I remember going there, man, the preaching was great. I mean, they had two of the best preachers, and they had great music. Man, they had a great music. Rodney Brooks was the music director. And uh, Dr. Lindsay used to call him Hot Rod. Man, he'd get up there, and he would sing, and he would talk, and he would give testimony. Man, it would just tear your heartstrings. You'd think, man, if anybody knew God, it would have been Rodney Brooks, right? You'd say, man, he, he sings, he knows God, he does. Well, one Sunday night, <clears throat> pastor came in, he was preaching. And sure enough, when they get to give the invitation call, guess who walked the aisle? Rodney Brooks walked the aisle. They interviewed Roddy Brooks afterwards, and he said, well, it was sad to know in my heart that I'd always wanted to do church work. I always wanted to be a good person. I always wanted to do the, the will of God. But he said, I never, ever had the peace of knowing that Jesus Christ was my personal Lord and Savior. And let me tell you, that impacted my life. It impacted my life because I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what kind of church you've been to. I don't care what kind of preacher you've heard from. I don't care what, who, who you might have heard or where you might have been or who your family was or who your dad was or who your mom was. The question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Where is your salvation lay? Where does your salvation lie? And John, he's going to take us through a journey that's going to take it, by, take it piece by piece. And when we get to the end of it, I hope you can say like John, I know that I know that I know. That Jesus Christ is who he is, says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Let's pray together today.